Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 10, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. One of my favorite things to do is reach out to the best minds in the business and talk ball, which is why this series was created. For instance, yesterday I talked with Matt Manicharian, the director of football and research for Sports Info Solutions, and had a great conversation with him. And I hope you all listened to that and came away having learned something new about the game that we all love. I've got more of the same for you today, and this guest brings a unique perspective to the infamous Eagles Dream Team experiment that fell on its face. He is Dan Hatman the director of the Scouting Academy, and he joined me to talk about a range of topics. First half of the show is all about the process. So if you've ever wondered what it's like being a scout for a professional football organization, this show is for you. In the second half of the show, we tap into Dan's experience as a scout for the Eagles during the Dream Team experiment and get his insight on how it all went down, what the thought process was, why it failed, and what lessons that we can extract from it that I personally believe Howie Roseman uses to guide his decision making to this day. Remember, if you're not subscribed to Bleeding Green Nation, hit that button. If you haven't written a review, help us out if you like the content and write up something funny for us to read on the show. If you haven't left a five-star rating, I don't know what you're doing with your life. But really, we do appreciate the support. Over 800 five-star ratings since the launch. That's phenomenal. And look, you're here for the content. Let's take you to it. The following is my conversation with Dan Hatman, the director of the Scouting Academy. Let's go. Dan, it is a pleasure to finally have you here on Bleeding Green Nation. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Monday afternoon here. The uh, the kids down for a nap, so we got time to talk some football. I like it. I was just down for a nap. I'm really enjoying myself today. We were talking about that before the show. Birds are chirping out here in Florida, man. It is uh, fantastic weather. It's been a long time since we talked. It's been, what, two whole months since we saw each other at the Senior Bowl? I think so. Anything crazy? Do you have any more kids in that time span? I know you're building a small I, I mean, army. I should not have uh, a kid in 2018, and so <laughs> far in 2019, we're good. For those who don't know, that's after three straight years of having a child, 15, 16, 17. So I got my three little boys. Uh, my odd front, as I call them, and uh, they keep me busy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, Dan, as a Scouting Academy student myself and having worked with the 2018 Inside the Pylon Draft Guide with you, you've obviously had a big impact on the way that I view and evaluate the game. So let's jump right into it. Uh, you don't have to qualify yourself to me, obviously, but tell the listeners all about your journey and background when it comes to what you've done in the football world. So I like to admit right off the front, I got lucky at the beginning. It's part of the reason I started the academy. But I got into football at the University of Albany. It's the only place a 5'10 defensive tackle could try to walk on. You know, let's just call a spade a spade. I wasn't going to have much of a chance to be an effective defensive tackle anyway, but I gave it my best shot. Ended up on the coaching staff. 
So that's kind of how that went. Nice. Start off as a student assistant coach in a program that valued people that wanted to grow in the business and gave them their first start. My work there led to a recommendation from them to Dave Gettleman in the New York Giants. He was a director of pro personnel. So I got to uh, go work as a summer training camp intern for the Giants. After that, they asked me to come back full time our full year as an intern went and did that got spoiled rotten first year in the league i uh, was able to be part of a super bowl winner <laughs> super bowl 42 the 18 and 1 patriots as new england fans often like to talk about <laughs> from there it was kind of a, a crossroads i knew i wanted to be a general manager at that point in my career uh, asked people how do you get there what's that like everyone said that you didn't play in the league. You don't have the right last name. Uh, you're going to need something else. So you better go get maybe an advanced degree or something that you can sell to an owner of these billion-dollar franchises of why they should trust you with their operation. Hmm. So I went to grad school. I chose the University of Massachusetts. It's where, at the time, our college scouting director, Mark Ross, had done his graduate work. Uh, went there, was able to GA uh, with the football program. I coached D-line and special teams. I uh, actually taught undergrad sport law and sociology of sport mm. in addition to getting my two master's degrees there. And then at the time, the New York Jets had Mike Tannenbaum as the GM, Scott Cohen as assistant GM. Both of those gentlemen were UMass alumni. I got introduced to them, interned with them up until the point of the lockout in 2011. Woody Johnson wouldn't hire anybody else or extend any contracts. Uh, they let me pursue other opportunities because they couldn't offer me anything. I actually made a recommendation in Philadelphia because Scott Cohen had worked there with Howie Roseman years before. He called up Howie. I went down and interviewed and had an agreement in principle pending the end of the lockout. And so my first day with the Philadelphia Eagles was the opening of the 2011 training camp. My first job was to pick up Jason Babin from the airport and start the dream team. We are going to talk about the dream team uh, after we get into some more stuff here, because I'm fascinated with how all of that went down. One question real quick, just to follow up on that. Howie Roseman as like a personality type. Let me see if I can give you a couple of choices here. Is he more like me? Is he more like my friend Mark Schofield from the QB Sco show? Or is he more like a person like a Joey Ferriella from uh, from Next Gen Stats who's a buddy of ours? It depends on the – everybody's got a, you know, a few different personalities to put forward depending on context. But I'd probably say a little closer to Joey okay. in that really gonna, wants to think it out and reason it and then take all that information in and then put his argument forward. Joey's going to listen to – I'm going to edit this out because I always give Joey crap. I always bully him in the, in the direct messages and he's going to think that you're calling him Howie Roseman and I don't know if I can let that – I don't know if I can let that stand. He's going to throw that in my face. <laughs> let's uh, let's set the table for the spine of the show, which is, quote, unquote, the process. And by the process, I mean what a scout does and how they work in conjunction with the front office throughout the year in terms of the NFL draft, free agency, basically all of the roster decisions that need to be made and all work together to form a coherent philosophy towards roster construction and making your team better. Before we get to the draft here, which is good timing for the show, we should start from where the process starts from after the draft. So we're starting with a bit of a fresh slate here. What does your calendar year look like from a scout's perspective after the draft when you're starting a new year? Can I start by just you know, nitpicking process? Because I, it's one of those things because <laughs> Nick Saban uses it at Alabama that everybody else copies. 
Nick Saban and Alabama have a process. Right. That thing is polished and clean and they can plug and play. They turn over like eight of their 10 coaches annually and that machine still runs. They have a process. My son has a process to go to the bathroom. It doesn't make it a good one and sometimes he misses the toilet. So having a process does not equate to having a good process. I have seen – I've worked for two college programs, three NFL teams. Now with our alumni with the academy, I have exposure to over 80 organizations. I hear about some phenomenal process. I hear about some god-awful process. And so one of the things I end up talking about when people do, you know, ask me questions, the, like the NFL doesn't do anything, right? The NFL has an office in New York City. They work on league-oriented things. They don't do roster construction. The teams do. And there are good teams and there are bad teams in terms of process. And so that becomes – my setting of the stage on this. Hmm. But let me attack your question. Yeah. Calendar. I'm going to carry post-draft process because after the draft, you're going to do your undrafted free agency and you're building your 90-man roster uh, through your mini camps and OTAs. That's going to lead you to the beginning of June. Hmm. So that's kind of the, the finish of this marathon that we're on. At that point, mid-June, like you got to unplug. You got to take a breather, <laughs> actually go see your family. Mid-June to mid-July – the vast majority of people are off the grid. They might poke in and out of the office depending on certain vacations or whatnot. But generally speaking, like you gotta gotta recharge because once the mid to end of July, whenever your training camp date is, once that hits, like here we go, we're off and yeah. running. Uh, certain teams have started to infringe upon that month off for their area scouts. Area scouts, for those who don't know, do not work in the city primarily that their team's located. So Philadelphia has a scout responsible for the West Coast. That individual doesn't live in Philadelphia or the surrounding regions. They live on the West Coast. Uh, The individual that scouts the Southeast doesn't live in Philadelphia. They live in the Southeast. And so those individuals that live outside of the building, uh, those area scouts, there's a lot on their plate and they are usually referred to as the GM of their area, right? They've got to be responsible for every eligible player in that region. And that requires the building of a list of people to look at, the maintenance of that list, the analysis of that list, and obviously then recommending forward people that they like. So we're actually starting to see that calendar change a bit. And it, it can be frustrating to the individuals who are tasked with this, where they're now approaching almost a 12-month calendar. Yeah. Because during that off time, we're hearing that certain GMs, college directors, player personnel directors, whatever the title may be, are starting to ask their college scouts to do summer film work. Now, now I want you in the time that you're at home to be spending hours a day grinding tape in preparation for the fall. How glorious. What a glorious life. Right. Yeah. In, in theory, right, getting ahead, having preparations would make sense if it changed the hours in the work. <laughs> like if it created an efficiency right. by doing a little bit of work for 12 months, you would take away hours of the work in the fall. Yeah. I think you'd have more people get behind it. But without adding necessarily compensation, there's been this new ask of, hey, now take time out of what we've given you in terms of your downtime and then put it back into work time. And they're not necessarily going to modify either workflow or compensation. Right. A little bit of friction on that one. But outside of those teams, the calendar kicks off with going to training camp. And then you have your two department silos. We just talked a little bit about the college scouts. Obviously, this time of year, that silo is very active because it's draft preparation. And that goes from, again, the beginning of training camp, middle, end of July, through putting your 90-man roster together post-draft in the May window. And then you have your pro scouting department, which is where I spent time with all three of the teams I worked on or worked with. In pro scouting, you're responsible for anybody that's no longer got college eligibility. 
So it could be an individual off the street. They could be at a another professional league. Like a basketball type, like a Jimmy Graham type, something like that. Is that kind of what you Oh, yeah. I, we would get unsolicited tape all the time. And at that time, film wasn't digital for most of the programs I worked with. When I got with the Giants, we were still getting VHS tapes yeah. <laughs> of people that had taken their camcorder out to their local high school field and, and filmed them catching a few balls and said that they could be the next Jeremy Shockey. <laughs> By the time I'd gotten into Philadelphia, now it was at least all on DVD, yeah. so you could just plug it in and watch it. But yeah, hours of my life trying to figure out if there's truly anybody that's not contracted to a professional league that should be in the NFL, right. which is usually a very rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that are aspiring to play in the league, like get in with a professional team. Like <laughs> The jump doesn't have to be straight to NFL. Like You could go go to the arena league. You can go to a tryout for the CFL. Like these other leagues are searching for players, like go get tape. Cause if then I'm watching a player who's playing in a professional league, when I say better film, I'm not saying about the quality of the film. Like it's so hard to determine if you're worth it by watching you run a route on your high school field on air. Right. With a, typically a bad quarterback throwing it to you. Or if your buddy's trying to time you on your 40, we have no way to verify if they're early trigger figure on that one. All right. That whole process is a, a, a nightmare. Yeah. Usually you're spending your time in pro scouting on your opponents. So we would do advance work. So let's say the Eagles are playing the Giants this Sunday. We're watching Dallas in preparation for the next week hmm. and preparing a report so that the game, you know, they finish playing the Giants on Sunday, put that game to bed Monday morning. By Monday evening at dinner time, we're in there telling them, okay, here's what the Cowboys are presenting. Mm. We would do that. We're making sure that our practice squad and emergency lists are prepared. We're scouring everybody else's practice squads for players that maybe we could sign. Again, looking at other leagues, it's constant roster maintenance and pro yeah. about, and pro scouting. And then obviously prepping for free agency. You're going to yeah. watch every eligible free agent or potential cap cut, right? Some teams are smart enough to start recognizing, okay, these players have a high percentage chance of being a cap cut. So let's get them on the list ahead of time, have prepared thought. So just a lot of roster maintenance. And then some programs, and, and Philadelphia was one of those when I was with them. Then when the pro cycle ended post free agency, we would be allowed into the draft process. And so I got to cross check a position every year. And that was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's just a different type of workflow and a more challenging projection. You watch an NFL player, it's apples to apples. Like, yeah. can they play in the NFL's more, it stands out more when you're talking about someone who's playing even at a, a major university. You know, if you're taking a player out of the, I don't know, University of Oklahoma, watching Cody Ford and determining can he play tackle in the NFL, <laughs> we still have to project that the rushers that he's going to be facing, the types of protections that he's going to be holding up on, are those things similar, dissimilar, and work through that to determine is what he's presenting an actual predictive model for future success or is what he's showcasing only working because he's going against someone that's not going to play in the NFL. Right. So the calendar for the college side, because I know we're in draft season, they start off by planning their their calendar. If you're responsible for the southeast part of the country, you have to have diligent preparation for, okay, this week's going to be my North Florida swing. And I'm going to hit these schools on these days. And this day I'm at Florida State. And this day I'm going over to Gainesville. And depending on the number of players at Florida State or University of Florida, maybe I need to schedule a second day to continue to do my work. And then maybe I'll you know go to a, a smaller program in that region that maybe only has one or two players. It's kind of a buffer day. So that's less of a day in the building and more of a day in the hotel writing reports. Hmm. And then maybe the next week I do my South Florida swing. And then after two weeks on the road, I'm going to get a little time home. And then maybe I got to go do a Georgia swing and so forth and so on. So you're working this through uh, the calendar and then 
you're trying to double back on your big schools. So most teams subscribe to either National Football Scouting, NFS, or Blesto. Right. Those are combines. Teams have come together to share baseline information, names, height, weight, speed, some basic character and medical information that can be collected just as a starting point, right? All evaluation is done with a list. You start with a list of players and you start watching them. You can yep. add to the list, you can truncate the list, but you always have a list. Like the Eagles subscribe to NFS. So they get a list from NFS and they'll say, okay, well, Alabama's an A school this year because they've got X number of players that are above the draftable line. Does that does that in the beginning of the year include undergrads as well? Are you dealing with draft eligible? Then you circle back on declarations or you're just trying to be prepared for any possibility? Right now, we t- we're talking about pro days. There's actually a, a second simultaneous series of events going the blesto and nfs scouts otherwise usually called the combine scouts they're also in the field all spring they're working on 2020s okay well you'll hear junior days occasionally or if you like follow like a a social media account of a college program you'll see maybe they talk about their junior day right that's when they invite the blesto and nfs scout they usually usually come in together as best they can and they do all the measurements of the players at that time and then they added a rule oh geez i want to say at least two years ago now, maybe three, where the coach of the college program can nominate up to five players that are not rising seniors that hmm. can be captured in that time. Hmm. So basically, if you're, again, well, they're supposed to go Alabama as the most recent example. So if you're at Alabama and you have a strong inkling that five of our either redshirt juniors or true juniors, like we know they're going to go, yeah. you can add them to that spring list of all your rising seniors. <laughs> and then allow those guys to have those baseline information captured right now because that's one of those things added after the draft. In the in May, all the teams that subscribe to either one of those combines uh, will go to that meeting and all the teams get together and all that information gets disseminated. So then your 2020 list has a, a primer, right? We now, we now have a starting 2020 list of players that we can work through and you use that to schedule. Okay. Like I want to go spend time in this part of the country because there's a lot of players there. I got a cluster in this area and I have less exactly. here. So I want to hit the cluster. Yeah. And again, maybe I don't want to do back to back a schools in the same week. Right. Like maybe I need to do much. an A school for two days and then a B and a C school so by the time I get done with the week, I've seen 35 players versus if I schedule two or three A schools, I might be at 60 players in a week. <laughs> and it's functionally impossible to do that yeah. with the level of accuracy that they'd be allowed to if they were – and no offense because I, I sit at home and watch film myself now. I'm not affiliated with a team. But like when you sit at home and just watch film from your office chair or your couch or wherever you watch film and you don't have to do all the other parts of the process, yeah, watching film is efficient when you can sit in one spot and stream film. Yeah. Like these guys, these guys would be way more accurate on film assessments if they were allowed to sit in one spot at home in their comfort and just watch film. But typically they're in a one room for like four hours a day because they still got to go to practice. They still got to meet with the academic liaison. They still got to meet with the strength and conditioning coach and the trainers. <laughs> and like there's so much other information to source on that on-site visit. You're, you're part private investigator. You're part amateur psychologist. Oh yeah, by the way, you still got to get the film right. Yeah. They wear many, many hats. Like I don't, I, I wish I'd had the opportunity to be an area scout because I, I think it's an important thing, just experiential to have under your belt. It sounds like madness. <laughs> it's a crazy, it's a crazy lifestyle, and it, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for the people that do it because it's hard, <laughs> and like it's it's not gonna be what you would do if you were to draw it up in a vacuum and just say like if I wanted to get this one player right, like I'd spend whatever a month getting this one player right. Yeah, like you can do that, except you got to do four hundred players. You don't have four hundred months. 
and unless ownership is going to scale the scouting staffs and double them in size or something, you know, and, and create an efficiency that way, like you have to create efficiencies elsewhere. And so it is part of the reason why I think that some of these, you know, like a, the, one of my favorite stories, like Adam Thielen with the Vikings, yeah. my understanding, and you know, it's all scuttlebutt third party information, but was like, the head coach of that program got called like twice. Like, Hey, is this, this guy's putting up big numbers. And you said he's six, two. Yeah. 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 Is he a player in the NFL? Nope. <laughs> like, so the coach of the program's not necessarily jumping on the table saying like, yeah, I've got a guy and there's 25 other division two wide receivers with thousand yard seasons. Like where's the line of logic that no shit, we should have all been on Adam Thielen. Like right. somebody might've been, but if they had to do Minnesota Mankato along with, 50 other programs in the Midwest, including drive time to places like South Dakota State. Yeah. It's not set up necessarily to maximize the capacity of the individual evaluator, which is a frustration for me, right? Now that I'm on the outside and I can just talk theory, it's hard. And I wish we could build it in a way that allowed for better accuracy because yeah. I think it'd be possible if we retooled the model. At what stage do you get in a room to where you start talking about these prospects and start having the debates? Like when we were putting together, you know, we got a soft version of this with the Inside the Pylon Draft Guide where we're in a Slack channel with our positional groups and we have some disagreements about players and we end up, you know, working things out and making our making our cases and whatnot. When does that process start for these NFL teams? Early December, because mm. the college regular season runs through basically that Thanksgiving window, right? End of November, so... So then your your on-site exposures and your game exposures and all that kind of stuff vary. It's taken back. Those teams are into recruiting and they're into bowl prep if they're going that way or coaching change or whatever else. So usually at that time, your, your fall is complete and you need to take what you've learned in your fall, have all your fall grades submitted by the end of December. So again, from the end of July, so what's so we're talking the seventh month to the end of yep. December. So five months, not even five months because really it's the end of November. So in four months, you have to collect all of that information to have your preliminary, but basically like 80% of like where you stand in that player of all the players in your area, hundreds and hundreds of players in your area. <laughs> you have to have all of that done in four months. Wild. And, and I'm assuming like you have to get a lot of this done before the showcase game starts. Like what about the Senior Bowl specifically, which is an event we both attend in, in Mobile, Alabama every year. How valuable are those showcase games to your process and how do you factor those in and weigh those? The, the best way I've, I've heard it talked about and, and the way I'm most fond of, of using those tools is film cannot answer every question. Right. It can't because at some point it's a human being playing a game and we're going to glean a question off of film that another human being has to answer. It might be a teammate. It might be the player himself. It might be their high school coach. It might be their college. Someone else is going to have to help us determine an answer to that question. Like yeah. I remember a couple of years back, one of our alumni came to me and they said, hey, I'm watching this FCS corner. I've never seen this before. They don't align the corner field and boundary. They're not aligning them left and right. I swear to God, this corner's on their, his team's sideline every rep. The film doesn't do a great job of this, but I'm pretty sure the coaches are talking to the player. <laughs> and so the evaluator, like, does that mean the kid's dumb? Right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know, but it's plausible. I'm suspicious. But let's dig in. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's have a level of humility yeah. to recognize that that's an interesting question that we would yep. definitely want an answer to. Yeah. But in and of itself, did not present us with an objective answer. Mm. I happen to know somebody on staff. I call them up and I walk through the scenario and I I check the film myself at that point. I'm like, come on, like, what? Well, I've never seen this either. Like, what what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why is this guy in your sideline? And, and I, I'm agreeing with my guy. Like, 
you're talking to them. Like, what's going on? Like, again, I asked the question, is he, is he not bright? Is he not getting the adjustments? Can he not process it? What's going on there? No doubt about it. Like I can see the line of logic that gets you there. But again, I asked the question, tell me what you're seeing. And he goes, I I get you. I hear you. He goes, no. Okay. Well then come on. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta fill me in. Like, what are we talking about here? He goes, so at our level, we don't have helmet communication. Right, so we got no way to to talk in the calls. So we are signaling in the calls, and with the way coaches had moved around our conference, we were convinced <laughs> that other coaches in our conference had our signals. Right, he was this kid was our smartest kid. He had like wind talker style. Him and the other DBs had it figured out that we could just get the call to him. He'd get the coverage to everybody else. That's wild. And so it was built. It was born out of paranoia. Total paranoia, and potentially rightfully so. Right? right? If they they your calls that that's not ideal. But to me, it just comes back to film is a great starting point, and and it's a foundation for all that we do in evaluating a football player. But so many times. Players, because they are human beings and they are unique, they don't present where you can label them succinctly and put them into a little box and then it just perfectly translates forward. There's always this nuance and opportunity to dive into that. The biggest thing that I've had to kind of swallow my pride on the last few years is just that like more more often than not with these questions, sometimes you just – that's all you got to do is just ask the question. Like the answer is not there. Yeah. I'm proposing like when I talk to the people that are doing this work now, like – have a new section on your report for like, if I could talk to people, here's the questions I'd have. Right. If I could sit down with him, here's what I'd ask. If I could sit down with the coach, here's what I'd ask. If I could sit down with his teammates, this is what I'd ask because I have concerns. Like I think the film becomes noteworthy. The film generates flags, positive and negative. There's levels of excitement, but it doesn't give you every answer. And so that's my long way of coming back to the events like the Senior Bowl. When the film presents a question, so I, one of my you know favorite ones is like Ali Marpet's playing left tackle at Hobart, and if anybody in the podcast can tell me where Hobart's located, like <laughs> kudos to you. I happen yeah. to live in upstate New York, so I know, but I doubt yeah. many other people did. He's playing at a level where the rushers he's facing at the is the left tackle at Hobart will not be playing in the National Football League, right? right? So you can't look at it and say with objectivity, apples to apples, like no brainer, he's going to be an NFL level left tackle because we saw him go against NFL level pass rushers. So you are projecting transferable traits. We are deconstructing his performance into elements and saying these elements are transferable. And then we have hope. Well, with a player like that, there was also the projection. He's not going to play left tackle. Now we're going to project him interior offensive line. (laughs) So an event like the Senior Bowl is phenomenal because now you can expose really really the whole organization, coaching staff, uh, scouts, executives to that player having to perform against comparable athletes right now do you expect him to be a polished technician in a new position against a different a different type of athlete day one no you want to see progress you want to see him take and apply coaching you want to see him physically you know okay well i gotta speed up now and and, and work to match that and if he starts checking those things off like don't get me wrong every player has risk right when you buy when you buy a player in the draft you're buying risk right i always talk about the draft like having a stock portfolio that's what team construction is to me it's a stock portfolio you're going to buy risk with every player, but some players present with a hell of a lot more risk than others. Yeah. You know, last year, Quentin Nelson, Saquon Barkley, they're not a whole lot of risk. Pretty much are what they are. That doesn't mean they're 100%. There is some risk. It's just not a lot. Uh, I remember when, like, Robert Kimdichie came out of Ole Miss. To me, there was all sorts of risk. Like, right. I can see where it works out. I can totally see where it doesn't. From yeah. the film alone, You, there's no way you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I wasn't optimistic, but I could have easily been proven wrong. Like, there's a line of logic that clearly gets you from him 
being inconsistent in college to being a competent pro. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the film. That's what's between his ears. If he gets there, it's not because I saw it at Old Miss. It's because he figured his shit out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we get so like we're so want to puff our chest out and pat ourselves on the back. Like film doesn't predict everything. It can't. It's a human being playing a game. You're gonna pluck him out of college. He's the big man on campus. He's got this apartment. Drives this car. He's got this girlfriend. This family's nearby. Whatever else. You're going to take him out of there, put him in a city he didn't choose with mm. coaches he didn't choose. And he's going to get a new place to live. He's got a big new contract in a lot of cases, like big new pressures and face in the newspaper every day. He's 22 years old. Ge- yeah. Generally speaking, he's 22 years old. And so when do we factor in that in? Yeah. Like when, when do we have the humility to say like, okay, here's what the film tells me that I have confidence in. Here's what the film tells me that I don't have confidence in, but I want answers to. And then here's the opportunity for varied outcome just based on we got to figure out the right kind of guy for this this is uh like when danny watkins comes to philadelphia (laughs) to me i think there's a place in the nfl where danny watkins could have worked out right it wasn't philadelphia at that time because him and howard mudd were not in sync right and howard mudd he's like my o-line mentor i love the man to death he's a phenomenal human being but like that wasn't his kind of guy yeah howard like Guys like look like Jason Kelsey and play like Jason Kelsey. Like that's Howard's kind of guy. Like give me smart and tough, and I'll figure the rest out. Hmm. And Danny was smart, but he wasn't the right kind of toughness for Howard. So in that process, it's hard because you'd like to say that well, we should be able to massage that in the back end, but those things don't always work out. Like that's the opportunity for air when you buy that player is that we have to hope that that pairing, the person who's required to develop them takes hold of that and moves that forward. And that player responds to that type of coaching in both sides of that didn't work out. Dan, we have set the table for the process, both bad and good. Up next on Fireside Chats, we're going to talk bad process, namely the infamous stream team. That's up here next on Bleeding Green Nation. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Bleeding Green Nation Fireside Chats, Episode 10, here with the director of the Scouting Academy, Dan Hatman. Dan, so we've alluded to it several times already. You were around for the infamous Eagles Dream Team, where they spent lavishly in free agent additions to try and load up for a run. Can you give us some insight into how all of that went down? Uh, I'm sure you got like tons of little nuggets as far as that goes, but how, how did I mean, that all I, I happen? lived it, right? Yeah. I, I absolutely 100% lived it. It's interesting because I wasn't there when the build was constructed, right? When the thought process during that lockout, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to go. Coming into it from the Jets, you had Michael Vick. You saw the upside. You saw the opportunity for big points per game. You see a model like when Peyton Manning was in Indianapolis, Hmm. right? The type of defense that you can have when you have a -a 35-point-a-game quarterback. Right. And you're always playing from a lead, and they're always going to pass. Then yeah. you can build a defense to defend the pass. 
my understanding of the build, and again, I wasn't in the room when it was done. And at that time in that building, it was not the most transparent place. Like I was not called into meetings with Howie Roseman and Andy Reid and Joe Banner to discuss strategy. Right. My understanding was that you had an offense that had the weaponry, right? When you talk about, again, Jeremy Macklin type receivers and Deshaun Jackson's, you have the LaShawn McCoy type running backs, you have Michael Vick at quarter, like there's objective evidence here that they have an offense that should be able to do 30, 35 points. In that case, you can build for pass rush. You can build for pass defense. So that's where the Namdi Asim was come in. That's where the trade for Dominique Rogers Cromartie comes in. You add Cullen Jenkins, you add Jason Babin, like we are going to rush the passer yeah. and we're going to defend the pass and we're going to have a lead. Like you can see how it was set up that if X, Y, and Z hit, like this should be good. Mm. It didn't hit. <laughs> to me, it didn't hit on the the cultural levels because the best way I can explain is free agency is acquiring a mercenary. Mm. You're saying that we don't have anybody on our roster at this position worth paying. So we have to go outside of our roster to acquire somebody else who's better than anybody we've got in the building and pay them. They didn't grow up here. They didn't develop here. They've got no institutional buy-in. But we're going to go out, pay them top of the market money to come here and then hope that they buy into a culture and that we can move forward as a team. You had the move at that time to take uh, Juan Castillo and move him to the defensive coordinator. Right. Now, Juan was heavily involved with Jim Johnson in all those years. Jim built those phenomenal defenses and looking at protections and looking at pressure through the lens of destroying protection. Mm. It's a beautiful place. Like, you don't just drop, like, hey, I want to bring weak side pressure. Like, it's, I want to bring up weak side pressure because this is the type of protection they're running. We can get this matchup and we can overload this and we can get them to do this. And like, and that, that makes a lot of sense. I've seen some Jim Schwartz coaching clinics where they kind of look at things from the offensive line side of the ball and say, how do we want to? There's a lot of collaboration. When Jim goes to the cool clinic, he goes to the offensive line clinic and starts talking about how we're attacking you guys. Right. Yeah. Love that one. Yeah. So again, like I can see where the logic was in all of it. Execution didn't hit. This brings me back to like one of my grad school professors. I, I thought it was brilliant. Alan Robinson's got this book, Ideas Are Free. And his whole concept is like, everyone's got an idea. Like the line <laughs> of logic was there. The execution's what didn't hit. That's what the difference between all of this. It's not ideas. It's execution. Yeah. The execution wasn't there. You just had so much opportunity for conflict. And these guys didn't buy into each other. And it didn't it didn't immediately hit like they wanted it to hit. And then that conflict just kept rubbing. I spent a lot of time in that building with Lewis Riddick, who had come out of the Washington organization before that, where Dan Snyder pays, again, for agency every year. Let's let's go. <laughs> Riddick's like the loudest voice against free agency. Ironically, as a pro director, usually you tag free agency to the pro director. Like Riddick's right. anti-free agency for the most part. Mm. He's big on you know draft and develop. He thinks pro through the advanced lens is really critical. We just talked a lot about that opportunity for conflict was just so strong because you bought so many players – from outside the locker room, paid them a ton of money, and it doesn't give the guys in the locker room the best feeling about where they're at. Right. You know, you have all these other pieces, but they didn't get paid. The outsider got paid. And anybody that's been in any company and you thought maybe you were in line for a promotion or maybe you thought you were going to get yours and all of a sudden they went and hired somebody from the outside. Oh, that never goes over well. That's not your favorite person. <laughs> that's not the one you buddy up with. You're not inviting that person over for dinner. Like, and you're probably talking about them at the water cooler. Like, these things that happen in other parts of the world happen in football. There's still human beings playing a game. It was not good in terms of the, the feeling. And then the, and there was nothing to grab onto. Like when the when the negative hit hit, you didn't have that build. So like right now, March Madness is going on, right? Yeah. You start to see teams that have been together for three, four years and have a lot of junior and senior upperclassmen. They do a little bit better with adversity than these groups of people like Duke, you know, got pushed really hard the other night with 
UCF, like guys with the one and dones, they're, they're still just trying to figure each other out. Yeah. I mean, they've only got a couple months under their belt with each other. Like those are not your long-term relationships to, to steal from. You're not in the foxhole with the guy you just met a month ago. Usually like you build those things, you build that trust over time. And we just didn't have that opportunity. And when, without that trust, as soon as the performance didn't hit right, things just erode and that friction just gets louder and louder and louder. And you just don't have that. There's nothing to grab onto. There's no foothold to say like, okay, we've got this. Like it's just tough to go from there. You you feel bad for all involved because it it wasn't 18 months later. Like they have this idea again. I could see how it worked. It didn't work. And then there's like nobody left. Yeah. Everybody's gone. You, You brought up a point there about, you know, who you pay, who you choose to pay, free agency, all of that stuff. Since then, and, and I've written about this for BleedingGreenNation.com, like with Howie Roseman, the way that they're doing things now is they're paying veterans in free agency what like the, the valuation matches the evaluation, you know, Malik Jackson getting lesser of a contract in Philadelphia than he got in Jacksonville, more realistic to his skill set. But what they're doing, you know, they're, they're not paying out these gigantic contracts. They're paying in-house talent to retain in-house talent. That's where their money goes now. Like I had written before the offseason, don't expect the Eagles to sign one of these big high-ticket item free agent pieces. That's not the logic anymore. This is no longer like the dream team type of feel. Do you think Howie Roseman took that lesson from the dream team and has now applied it to the way that he approaches roster construction and cap management now? Yeah, I haven't been around him since Chip. The time where how he was in charge and then he wasn't in charge and now he's back in charge and I haven't been around all those people. So Mm. my outside opinion of it is that there were a lot of lessons learned through all of those things. Right now, from a front office construction, like so I I look at who's in the buildings, what titles they have, try to assess role as best I can. There are only two scouts left from when I was there. Alan Walking, who's now the assistant director of college scouting, Anthony Patch, who's the senior director of college scouting. Everybody else is a Joe Douglas scout. Mm. Everybody else Joe Douglas has brought in. So it sounds like they've hit this balance. And it reminds me a bit of Green Bay's build for all those years where like Ted Thompson's a scout, right? That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to scout. I want to scout. He's on the road. And so then a guy like Russ Ball is managing strategy and day-to-day and, and so many other aspects of being a GM. So you want to talk about wearing many hats. We could spend another four hours breaking down everything that a general manager is responsible for and how ridiculous it is from a time constraint perspective. Yeah, I've asked every one of them I can talk to in the last five years this question. Before this job, they were typically maybe DPP or college director, whatever your title was, how much film did you watch? And the ballpark answer is like 80% of my time was spent on film. Okay, hmm. you're a GM now. How much of your time is spent on film? Invariably, it's something like 30%. In order to do this, somewhere you have to delegate. Like something has to be like you have a staff for a reason. Again, with the Green Bay model, like Ted was able to to scout and to work with his scouts and to be on the road and do those things and collect that information. Russ and his team were able to do their part, and then they 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 were integrating it very well. And so when I stop and I look at Philadelphia, it reminds me of something akin to that because Joe Douglas is managing his scouting staff and building that information and building those boards, and then they are integrating it really well with guys like Howie and Alec Hallaby and Jake Rosenberg and now probably the Andrew Berries, although I'm still a little cloudy in exactly what his role is going to be. But those guys are taking and they're building strategy. Like here's what we can do. Knowing the board is this, we can do X, Y, and Z. And it's been fascinating to watch because with the Malik Jackson, you hit on Fletcher Cox, then you retain and pay Fletcher Cox. So when you bring in Timmy Jernigan or Haloti Nada or now Malik Jackson, like 
you're not saying anything to Fletcher. Fletcher paid. Yeah. Now you're just giving him help. Yep. You know, so those kind of things are way easier sells of like, we're going to consistently find good pieces to put next to you to make, bring the most out of you because you're our guy. Like we paid you, like you're our, our guy. As opposed to bringing in other guys that's like, he's going to take your job. For the sake of hypothetical, because clearly it didn't happen. If they like lowballed Fletcher, stretched him out on franchise tags for a couple of years or whatever else the case may be. And then you bring in Malik Jackson on a big deal. Is Fletcher happy? It's a Probably whole not. dynamic. But that's not the case, right? So you hit, you hit in the pick, right? There's the, there's the first part. They hit on the pick. And then after doing that, they hit the right football player, the right person, pay that person. And then as you build around them, everybody's still on the same page. And you enhance that person when you build around him too, and you let him stay fresh and you take the snaps away from him so he doesn't have to play 80% of the snaps anymore. He can play 60% and still keep his sack numbers up and put him in the key situations. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. Anything else on the on the dream team before we kick it over to uh, the last portion of our show? I'm digging for nuggets here. <laughs> <laughs> my my Jason Babin nugget is one that I talk to with the students all the time because I after this experience it was anecdotal at first. So after this experience, like I'm hyper vigilant on the position coaches. So Jason Babin was a first round pick coming out of Western Michigan years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Plays for a bunch of teams, never puts up double digit sacks. Gets the Tennessee Titans. Plays for a position coach in Jim Washburn. Puts up double-digit sacks. I want to say it's like 12 and a half. Then that position coach becomes position coach in Philadelphia. Jim Washburn is now the defensive line coach in Philadelphia. Jason Batman gets signed in Philadelphia. Puts up a phenomenal year. What, like 18 and a half sacks? Yeah. Just <laughs> stellar year. And then the next year, both Jim and Jason were asked to leave. Jason bounced around a bunch of other teams. Never put up numbers like that again. So that Jason had two years, first-round picks, all this physical ability, two years in his entire career. I want to say like seven teams, probably 10 different position coaches. Two years, he's got double-digit sacks. Both those years dovetail with Jim Washburn. I've been around Jim. I can't say I'm like the, the ex foremost expert on Jim. Like I, I get how he coached. There was something in Jim that unlocked Jason. And it's objective, right? Only two years with Jim has his production. Every other year without Jim, no production. Seems pretty cut and dry to me. Yeah. But that's forced me to study like the position coaching thing as best I can because sometimes those guys, like we, we get hyper-focused on head coaches and we get hyper-focused on coordinators, assuming they're everything. Like there's other people paid to do this work. Maybe it is that coach that's unlocking that player. And then if you're going to predict that player to have that same level of performance moving forward. So if you're trending Jason's numbers, right? 12 and a half, 18 and a half, like, ooh, we're trending. Like we're going up. This is going to be great. You missing this whole piece of, human interaction context of like, yeah, that only works with this one guy. And the coaching fit too. I mean, we can try to project these college players as best we can from the film. And then the scouts had the other resources at their disposal. How do we know that they're going to hit based on the coach that they land with if they're going to mesh? I mean, we brought this up a couple times now. Sometimes they just butt heads and they, and they don't, and you won't get the same production from a player under one coach than you will under another, right? So let's let's play a hypothetical. Yeah. So the Kansas City Chiefs acquired the pick that became Patrick Mahomes from the Buffalo Bills. Right. Let's say that didn't happen. Let's still, We're creating history here. Let's say that didn't happen. The Buffalo Bills now have Patrick Mahomes. Last year with the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes threw for what, 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns? Yeah, it's bonkers. Let's say that he's with the Buffalo Bills last year and they're part of their build and they're clearly in a build. Do you think Patrick Mahomes would have thrown for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns last year for those Buffalo Bills? I'd probably bet my house on the opposite that 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 would not he would not hit those marks. <laughs> we, we've created this new hypothetical, right? Yeah. In any part of this hypothetical, do we change anything about Patrick Mahomes? Not at all. He's the same person. He's the same player with the same capabilities, same upsides, same downsides. So the only thing we changed was environment. Yep. 
And we just <laughs> predicted with very, very high levels of confidence, different outcomes based on environment. Yep. Then all of this work we're doing ahead of the draft on, oh, he's going to be this and he's going to be this and he's going to be this is bullshit. <laughs> because until we know where they're going yeah. and how good that fit is and how good that staff is and how good that development plan is, all we're buying is raw material. You yeah. went to Home Depot mm. and you bought a bunch of material. Do you know how to put it together? Right. Or are you the kind of program that can't ever buy raw material? We better buy the finished product. So right. we're just going to yeah. go on Amazon and order the thing and have it delivered because we got no chance of following the instructions. <laughs> so what are we talking about here? And with these players, so few of them come out as polished, finished products. Right. Mm. Those guys are easy. There's very little evaluation acumen needed to assess Quentin Nelson. My grandmother could have told you he's good. Right? There's nothing needed to evaluate that kind of guy. The guys that are hard are the ones that have low levels of athletic ability and high technique, and we got to figure out, does that work? The guys that have all the athletic ability and none of the technique, is that going to work? Mm. Part of the time, he's good. Part of the time, he's not. Why is he good? Why is he not? Well, he's, he's injured in this one. How's that going to play out? These are the things that we're discussing, and until we know that next part of the fit, it's impossible to predict future performance. All we're betting on is in a vacuum, if giving no other information – not having any home or team affiliation, I think what he presented is better than what this other guy presented. Right. But as soon as you institute, okay, well, he'd have this coaching staff. He'd have these guys around him. He'd have this offensive line. He'd have this receiver. He'd have this coverage behind him. My guess is your final value of what that player would be worth to you would be variable. Patrick Mahomes went to like, like you couldn't have drawn up in a lab better than to go to Andy Reid. <laughs> right. The yeah. best quarterback developer in the National Football League who is pushing the boundaries on adding concepts that are being used at other levels of football to the pro game and have weapons at his disposal with a very competent offensive line. It's like you can't draw it up any better than that. And good for him and good for them. For knowing, exactly, knowing that that, that situation. I mean, uh, Dan, I, I hate like mocking all 32 teams. I do like one per year. But the one thing that I did hit on out of like a thousand things that I've missed was – Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and I think a lot of people knew this, is the perfect landing spot for him to thrive. It's the dream, and it's going to be so fun to watch. And there's no doubt why that team was willing to give up more capital than anybody else for Patrick. Right. right. So Patrick wasn't a finished product at Texas Tech. He didn't look like – his 2018 film does not look like what looked like Texas Tech. It was all over the place. The raw material was always there, and he's incredibly yep. smart, and he's a phenomenal human being. So like all the raw material is there, but he didn't look like that at Texas Tech. Right. He looked like that in 2018 with Andy Reid. <laughs> so they were able to buy the raw materials because they knew they could take it farther than anybody else. So he's worth more to them than he's worth anybody else. And that's great for the game. Like I, re I remember I was low on Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of USC and then he landed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I said, well, if he's going to thrive anyway, it's going it, it's gonna to be there. Yeah, Richard Mann's phenomenal. You've got a competent quarterback, a fantastic offensive line. Oh, yeah, by the way, AB's out there keeping right. safeties occupied. Yeah, he'll like, be fine. It'll be fascinating to see what Juju looks like without that, right. without the outside lane guy yep. that you constantly have to pay attention to. Are we talking about comparable performance? It'd be hard for me to project because the context is different now. Unless Washington takes the next step and covers all that ground, you, what do you think the defense is going to do? If you're lining up to stop Pittsburgh in the passing game, who are you stopping? Juju. Yeah. So here we go. Like now he's got to face brackets all the time and let's see what we got. All right. Last break here on Fireside Chats. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Scouting Academy with Dan Hatman right here on Bleeding Green Nation. Back on Fireside Chats, we're talking with Dan Hatman, director of the Scouting Academy here on Bleeding Green Nation. Dan, 
we had to move our recording time to accommodate some Scouting Academy business that you had. You had a person who was in their feedback portion of one of their positional modules. I've had those calls with you, and I remember how useful they can be as you're trying to craft your evaluations and tailor them towards the goal of effectively communicating what a player can be, what he is, where he can win. So I can personally speak to their effectiveness. But overall, what's the aim of the Scouting Academy when it comes to cultivating talent in the world of scouting? We got started on the idea there was a chicken and egg problem in football. Teams wanted to hire people who were going to be competent scouts to do the job. The problem was the only place you could learn how to scout was on the job. There was no place to do this beforehand. Every other profession you can apprentice somewhere or you can go to a college degree program for it or whatever the case may be. Like there's some level of certification. You're still going to learn on the job, but you can go get a baseline somewhere else. We didn't have that available. So we simply seek to change that. Let's take the fundamentals of the game. So we're not doing final grades. Like We're not putting a first round grade on a guy. We're not saying he's worth this much in free agency. That's team by team. Hopefully if, if you're listening this far, hopefully it's something that, that at least sunk in. Like we believe like, <laughs> how much that player's worth to a team is a variable. What's less variable is that every program, when they're assessing a receiver, is going to look at how well they release. Hmm. They're going to look at how well they run routes. They're going to look at how good he catches the ball. They're going to look at what does he do after the catch. Like Those things are constants. Those are the, found- the fundamentals, the foundation of this whole thing. So we can teach that. We can take people who've spent their lives either coaching or evaluating these positions and put them in front of someone that wants to learn this and teach them those fundamentals. This is how you evaluate release. This is how you evaluate route running. This is how you evaluate hands and work towards building someone up to the point where they feel confident in their assessment abilities. And there's two goals because we can't promise employment. And this work is time consuming. So this isn't like you're going to get the football for dummies book and and open it up and magically you're going to know everything. You're going to put the work in. But in this process, we want to do two things with you. One, we want to figure out, do you like this? All right, this is not watching your team on Sunday. This is not uh, watching just the premium QB1, wide receiver one type players. Like You're going to dig in on players that are not that exciting, yeah. trying to figure out if they're competent professionals. And then do you want to put that kind of time and investment? And not everybody does, and that's totally cool. We want to fi- help you figure out, like, do I like this work? Awesome. If you check that box, then we want to go to the next step. Are you good at this work? Can you be? Are you good at it now or can you be good at it in the future? And then we'll provide whatever tools, counseling, and support we can to help work on those things. If you're good at this work and you like this work, then we want to go to bat on the career side. But we want to meet those conditions first. And so have that quality assurance piece in there. Make sure this is the right fit for you from a, a job, a career perspective. And then – like I said, we'll go to work on the career side and put together strategy and look at resumes and cover letters and talk to you about jobs and source openings and put can. We'll do all that stuff to help our our guys hmm. and girls that are doing this. But it's going to be, again, focused around, do you like it and are you good at it? I know so many people that have benefited from this. And I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a chat with several Scouting Academy students and alum. Uh, I'm in another one where everyone does it for a living now after having gone through it. I uh, absolutely love what you guys bring to the table there. I mean, for instance, I mean, the... The fraternity uh, for scouting academy guys is so awesome. I was I was in Mobile, and one of the guys that had taken the courses that we talk with every day texted me, and he was like, "Hey, you're you're there with a bunch of scouting academy guys." I'm like, "Yeah, a bunch of the guys are here." He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna PayPal you some money 
make sure none of them buy, you know, make sure none of them pay for any drinks tonight, you know, and for senior bowl, you're out there drinking your face off, especially when there's no Wednesday practice. I've talked about that a couple of times <laughs> here on the show. I mean, but it, it was, it was so cool in the, in the community that you guys have cultivated there and the opportunities that, that guys have gotten myself included because of it is just awesome. So with, with how popular the draft is, obviously there's, there's been a boom in the interest in scouting that's kind of exploded. What would be your final message or advice to those trying to break into the business? Recognize that the supply demand curve, there's going to be less jobs than interested candidates. And so there are some prereqs, meaning that every team's going to want you to, to want this, right? They're going to want a level of passion that, that's more than just talk, it's action. They're going to want a level of work ethic that's going to be akin to working in the medical community or in banking or any of these other things where you're talking about 12, 14 plus hours. Uh, they're also going to want football acumen, right? So you're going to have to add, so you're going to have to add all those things. And then my biggest like job advice stuff is then recognize like that's still going to put you in a candidate pool of maybe a couple hundred people. What makes you different? Like what's right. the feather in your cap, the cherry on top of the sun? What's the thing that makes you different? The ace up your sleeve, whatever analogy you want to use here, you got to have something. And so we're one piece. We're not the only piece. Everybody that comes in the door, we talk to them about teams like to hire people that have team experience. So we can help you through the course. We can help you get teams onto your resume uh, at some of the entry levels, college or, or other professional leagues, and then leverage that up towards the NFL. But you're going to have to have that stuff too. And those things take time. Like adding those tools to your belt takes time. Building the relationships with the people that ultimately hire you take time. Getting those team experiences where your resume has some strong categories on it take time. So it can potentially be a two to three year process for people to want to do this stuff. And so we like to be transparent about it from the jump. Like if you have those things, if you have those, that, that passion, that work ethic, they get into it. Like that's freaking awesome. Like let's go. And then just make sure that you understand that it's going to be a ride. It's going to have some ups and some downs. You know, we've been fortunate. Our alumni have staffed a third of the open scouting assistant jobs in the NFL the last four years. That's awesome. And we have 56 alumni working in division one football, either recruiting or coaching. The students are coming in and they're kicking ass and they're, <laughs> They're taking it like we've taught more people and have gotten jobs. Like it doesn't coming here doesn't magically make you good at this. Like right. <laughs> if you're if you're good at this, if you're good at this, these guys are taking it out and yourself included, you're applying it and you're you're growing in the industry and you're you're pushing everybody to do this better, which is so awesome. And then to watch the alumni reach back and help the next guy. You were talking about pitching in for beers. We got alumni reaching out to hire. You know, hey, I just become the DPP at a college program. Like, I want, I got two full time jobs. Like, who do you have? Yeah. You know, we've staffed jobs at a Pac 12 program, a Big Ten program, an ACC program. We've got an NFL team we're helping with now. Like, they're coming into us now and saying, hey, do you have anybody that fits X, Y, and Z qualifications? And we've been able to produce candidates that have all that and get people in the mix. And so you, you mentioned it being a community and a, a fraternity or however you want to phrase that, like that to me has been one of the most rewarding outcomes is just to see the alumni not just come and take the curriculum, but bond together over this shared experience and want to see each other grow, even in a competitive field. It's been amazing. I love that you're, this, this sums up who we are both perfectly my anecdote was guy bought me a bunch of drinks <laughs> and your anecdote is guy reached out to hire me so that that's that's fun uh, dan uh, you, you could check out the scouting academy at scoutingacademy.com follow the organization on twitter at the scout academy he's been dan hatman on twitter at dan underscore hatman dan that has been our time for today i appreciate you so much for stopping by and taking the time i knew you'd bring the heat and you did 
Thanks for coming on, brother. It's been good to talk to you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.